I want to speak on the desperate dead this morning, so it must be God. Uh, so I'd like to read some verses from uh, Mark chapter 9. And I just want to say, um, we were actually at Lifehouse last Sunday. We had a wonderful, wonderful time. And uh, <clears throat> when we were, you know, leading the church in Owen Sound, which we started, uh, there were times when the congregation was about this size, and it was, it was discouraging. Uh, but uh, you press on, because if you build a foundation of community, where you're committed to one another, then God can add other people. And so, um, and you're blessed in having that connection with a great church in Mississauga. And uh, so I just encourage you to hang in. That's just what I'm trying to say. It's always a joy to be with you. I've been in churches, we've been in churches, um, you know, which were quite large, where... Uh, we have not appreciated the worship as much as we have appreciated the worship right here. I'll just say that much. Okay, so Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy, and when the spirit saw him, it convulsed him. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then we come to the sort of the meat of the thing. And Jesus said, if you can, he's quoting the father back to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, and I think these words are some of the most encouraging words in the Bible. I hope I'll be able to explain why I think that. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, <clears throat> saying, you deaf and mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And uh, after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse. Most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, the background of the story is that Jesus is off on the mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples are left, uh, and a crowd gathers, and among the crowd, this man comes and uh, Jesus isn't there, but the disciples are there, so he comes looking for help, and they're not able to help him. So when Jesus appears uh, with the three disciples having come down off the mountain, then uh, the, the man has this encounter with Jesus. The story that unfolds involves the encounter of this man and his son with Jesus. 
And Jesus obviously is the healer, and the boy is the one who's healed, but I think the father is the central character in this particular story. And the man asked Jesus to help him if he could. And Jesus rebuked the man uh, and said, all, all things are possible. Uh, and the desperate man cries out, I believe, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus rebukes the spirit and the boy is set free. Now, I think Jesus saw a number of things in this man's heart, uh, which testified to the genuineness of his faith, even though he obviously was full of uh, what we would call mental and emotional doubts. He was, or he was doubting in his mind. His emotions were all over the map. He was in a place of desperation. And yet Jesus saw something of faith because Jesus has to connect with some measure of faith in us for anything to happen. The problem is that we misunderstand the nature of faith. And we think that Jesus will never meet us unless we're maybe totally perfectly convinced that what we're praying for is going to happen in our mind, or unless we're on an emotional high and, you know, we're right there and, and uh, you know, we, we don't have any um, ups and downs about our faith. Uh, but, but that's not true. And, you know, there's none of us that has perfect faith that anything is going to happen. Uh, and there's none of us that lives in a permanent emotional high where we're never up and down. We're, we're all up and down in our emotions, aren't we? And we're all, we all have days when we can believe God for something better than we can believe God on other days. That, that's just being honest. So I find a, a lot of hope in this because Jesus still meets imperfect people. So what was it in this man's heart that connected with Jesus and indicated to Jesus that the man had real faith. Well, first of all, I think he had motivation. He was desperate, wasn't he? Uh, who knows how long he'd waited for Jesus. The story doesn't really make it clear, uh, but he, he had uh, this situation with his son from birth. It had got worse and worse. Nobody had been able to fix it. There was no answer. He was desperate. Uh, the dictionary defines desperate as being reckless from despair, violent, lawless, staking everything on a small chance. That's desperate. And that's what he was. Um, the, what his faith was staked on was Christ. He, he was waiting for Jesus to come down the mountain. No, no, nobody else was going to do it. Uh, and our faith, I think, sometimes is weak because we're complacent. We're not desperate enough for God. Um, we, we, we put our faith in other things. We substitute other things for Christ. We don't ask. We don't have, James says, because we don't ask. Um, Jesus measured the strength of this man's faith, not by the doubts he had in his mind, but by his desperation to cast himself on Jesus. And I'll think about it for a minute. Uh, he measured the strength of his faith, not by the doubts that the man still had, that the story advertises his doubts. But Jesus saw through the doubts to something in his heart, something in his spirit. And that was that he was desperate, and in his moment of total desperation, he had, he had decided that he was going to trust in 
Jesus for help, even though he wasn't entirely certain what was going to happen. So he, he, he was motivated. He had motivation. Second, um, he came in worship. There's a parallel account to this story in the Gospel of Matthew, and it adds a detail that isn't here in Mark, which is that when Jesus appeared, the first thing the man did was he knelt before him. That's an act of worship. So, first of all, he was desperate. Even though he was in a terrible state, he had decided he was going to put all of his money on Christ. And second, he came in an attitude of worship. Uh, he knew Jesus came from God. He may not have figured out exactly who Jesus was, but instinctively, he worshipped. So he recognized that God had given Jesus a place of authority. And, uh, and so that's how he came. He called to, in, in the account in Matthew, he kneels and calls him Lord. Now, what does that mean? He doesn't come by way of demanding. He doesn't come with a sense of entitlement. He doesn't come in anger or bitterness. No matter all that he'd gone through, he comes in worship. And worship is the singing of songs, just like we've been doing. But worship, above and beyond all that, is the laying down of our life before God. That's how Romans 12 defines it. Uh, worship is, is uh, presenting ourselves as a, as a living sacrifice to God. And so being a worshiper means we come to Christ acknowledging who he is and we're prepared to trust him even when things are tough, which they were for this man. So Jesus measured this man's faith by his desperate motivation. Uh, and, and secondly, he measured his faith by his worship. The third thing I think the story tells us is the man came in honesty. And... Uh, he admitted his doubts. We, we sometimes are too spiritual to be honest with God. It's so silly, isn't it? Because God knows. You know, we're angry at God, and, uh, but we won't admit it. Uh, well, God knows anyway. Why not just admit it and lay it all on the table and ask God for help? So this man comes. He admits his own doubts and fears. Honesty is a sign of relationship isn't it? If you're, if you're closest, I mean, you, you can't build your marriage. For instance, if you're married, you can't build your marriage on dishonesty, on lying to one another. Uh, honesty is a sign of relationship. Elaine never finds it difficult to be honest with me, so <laughs> she probably needs to be. Uh, so, uh, so honesty is a sign of relationship. Now, the father this father, the desperate dad, I call him, um, he, he was honest with Jesus. Why? Because he trusted Jesus. There was a sense of relationship there. He trusted him, so he was honest with him. And, and he knew that his honesty wouldn't lead to Jesus rejecting him. I mean, imagine coming before Jesus and saying, well, I'm not really sure that you can do this, but here I am. I'm desperate. Um, and Jesus doesn't reject him because he was honest. Uh, in fact, Jesus embraced the man in his honesty and his confession of weakness. Jesus looked to bless his kernel of faith rather than judge his mountain of doubt. And that's the mercy of God, isn't it? We may feel we have a mountain of doubt, but Jesus is looking for the little kernel of faith 
and uh, and that's what he'll embrace if we come to him in, in honesty. I believe. Help my unbelief. So Jesus measured his faith by his desperation, measured his faith by his worship, measured his faith by his honesty, and measured his faith, lastly, by his trust. Um, and I think there's something interesting in this story that um, he had come to the disciples when Jesus was up the mountain. The disciples had failed him. But his trust in Jesus overcame his disappointment with people. He didn't walk away from Jesus because Jesus' followers had failed him. And I always think, why is it that people walk away from the Lord when some church or Christian has apparently failed them? We all fail one another, right? Um, and I always say, if you, if you complain because the church, this church isn't perfect, well, if you find a perfect church, you'll ruin it as soon as you walk in the door. Uh, and uh, I, I don't understand why people walk away. Even if, even if people have failed you, people will fail you, but Jesus never will. And this man was failed by the disciples in that they were not able to meet his need. Uh, but that didn't stop him from pressing through and finding Christ. So if you're disappointed in another Christian, then don't allow that to rob you of your relationship with Jesus. Just press into Jesus and leave that person to God to sort out. So this desperate father, I think, had four things. Uh, he, was, he, he was in one sense, he presented himself in a mess. He doubted Jesus, and yet he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And, but Jesus saw four things, motivation, worship, honesty, and trust. And I think those are the hallmarks of true biblical faith. Um, biblical faith is not what sometimes we think it is, a quantity of mental belief. So, you know, I want a job, or I want a new house, or I want a healing or something, and if I can just convince myself in my mind that I'm going to get it, then God will bless my faith. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Faith is a desperate desire to come to God in worship and honesty and trust and say, Lord, I am desperate for this. And uh, I'm in, I'm, one day I, I think, yes, I believe you can do that. You know, I mean, if any of you have ever had children that have had difficulties, you know, uh, walked away from God or are in a mess of some sort, one day you think, yeah, I think God can restore them. The next day you think, oh, I don't know, it's never going to come out right, it's all going to be a disaster. This is just how we live, isn't it, if we're honest with each other? But through it, Jesus comes and looks for that kernel of faith, not our mountain of doubt. And he, he's saying, he's looking, are we still worshiping him? Are we still coming in desperation? Are we still being honest about where we are? Are we still coming in a trust that somehow, in spite of the fact that I don't know how God is going to fix this, I'm just going to trust him? That's faith. That's faith. Uh, somebody put up a post uh, on uh, the anyway, an online platform that I'm involved with. Somebody put up a post on Instagram with a quote 
that I'd uh, from one of my book title No Diving, and it was it was along these lines that I've just been saying, and there was about sixty responses from people who said, "Yeah, you know, I was told that." Uh, I wasn't healed because I didn't have enough faith, and this type of thing, and all these people pouring out their their uh, you know their personal experiences, and and the fact that uh, uh, they appreciated um, you know what I'd been saying because it brought freedom to them, and and the fact is that that is where we all live. In, in the place, we may not be always, thankfully, in a place as desperate as this father was with his son, but we're all there at some point, aren't we? And Jesus is there to meet us. Well, the end of the story provides uh, one more really important detail. When the disciples came to Jesus and they asked why they couldn't cast the demon out, Jesus says it comes out only by prayer. And I think that... Um, I think that uh, reminds us prayer is our fellowship with the Lord, that we only ever have strength to do anything out of our place of fellowship with the Lord. Um, Jesus had sent the disciples out not long before this story took place. They had healed the sick and seen all sorts of miracles. Maybe they, they thought, well, you know, we're pretty good, and uh, we'll just try it again. But Jesus wasn't there. See, he wasn't there. He was up the mountain. So there was distance between them and Jesus, and it didn't work anymore. And so uh, we need to draw out of our relationship with the Lord um, if we're going to do anything for God. We need him to be there with us. So as I mentioned, the same story is retold in Matthew chapter 17, and uh and, and Jesus has said, uh, this kind cannot be driven out anything but prayer uh, in Mark's account. But in the other account in Matthew, um, Matthew adds another twist to it. He says their failure was because of their little faith. And then he adds something which seems to be a contradiction. He says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. Well, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, the Bible tells us. Um, but Jesus says, all you need is faith like a grain of mustard seed, but your problem is your small faith. But then he says, you only need small faith to do the impossible. So Jesus, you, are you contradicting yourself here? Well, well, no, Jesus wasn't in the habit of contradicting himself. And it's the problem here is in the translation. Now, just so I don't lose your train of thought here, um, I'm still talking about the same passage of the Father and, and Jesus, but I've moved over from the account in Mark that I read to the parallel account in Matthew, which adds this little detail where Jesus is teaching the disciples how, how come they, how they, why they failed, and he's saying to them that it's because of your little faith. And the little faith has to be linked somehow with the lack of prayer, because that's the other reason he gives. So the little faith and the lack of prayer go together. Now, and yet Jesus has told us elsewhere, we only need a tiny bit of faith to do what he needs us to do. Well, if we look at this word in Matthew's gospel, where it says little faith, 
uh, in Greek, it's oligopistian is the, is the word. It actually means not small faith. The, the word in Greek uh, is better translated as weak faith or faith of a poor, even better, faith of a poor quality. So what Jesus is saying is, your problem is twofold. You're, the, you, there's a lack of prayer and relationship with me, and what that produces is a poor quality of faith. So he's saying, you only need a little bit of faith to move a mountain, but if you have a poor quality of faith, you can't do anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so the disciples came to Jesus and said, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said, because you have such a poor quality of faith. Your faith is weak. It, but if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, I'm paraphrasing now and expanding it, if it's of good quality, even though it's tiny, nothing will be impossible for you. That's what Jesus is saying. So the question is, why did Jesus see their faith as of poor quality? What was wrong with it? Well, it's because it was they had become disconnected with fellowship with Jesus, represented by prayer. Their lack of relationship with Jesus, maybe because they'd had a successful mission trip and done all these things and thought they were something else, but for whatever reason, in Jesus' absence, their faith was of poor quality. They were disconnected with him. Now, I think when the man came up and presented, you know, his, the, the, the son with the de demonic manifestation, the disciples had just been out. They'd, they'd cast out demons. They'd healed the sick. They'd done all these things. I think they probably, if you define faith as mental certainty, I think they probably were pretty confident they could do it. But they couldn't because faith isn't thinking you can do it. And persuading yourself you can do it. That's not what faith is. Faith is connected with relationship with Jesus. And because they have become disconnected with in their relationship with Jesus, their faith was of poor quality. And even though they thought they could do it, and were mentally convinced they could do it, and were probably on a ministry high, they had all those things going for them. But actually, the one thing that was critically important they didn't have. And so their faith was of poor quality. See, Jesus did not, Jesus' secret was not in his ability to conduct miracles through some kind of mind over matter. The secret of Jesus' ability to move in the miraculous was his fellowship with the Father. It was his relationship with the Father. And Jesus turns the whole thing around and he says, and it's your relationship with me. That's important. And the, 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 the interesting thing about the story is, to bring it back to the desperate dad, I call the, this message the desperate dad and the disappointed disciples. That's a lot of Ds. Anyway, it's kind of corny. But um, the difference between the desperate dad and the disappointed disciples, now think about it for a minute. The disciples were great, you know, miracle workers. I mean, they'd gone out on the mission field, they'd come back, and they were... You know, as a friend of mine says, thought they were all that in a bucket of chicken. And, uh, and here over here is the desperate dad. He's in a mess. The disciples are God's men of power for the hour. 
But it's the dad who breaks through to Jesus, not the disciples. Because, because his faith, though it was very tiny, was of good quality. Why? Because he was desperate, he was motivated, he was honest, he, was, he, was, he came in worship and trust. He knew he was nothing and Jesus was everything. Maybe the disciples had thought, we can do this in our own, Jesus. It's fine. You stay up in the mountain. We're just good. See, but the father knew he had nothing without the Lord. So I think that um, I try to draw together these things. I hope in a way that's reasonably clear. But my point is that real faith draws us back to our relationship with the Lord. And... Um, we need to cast ourselves on God in trust. We, uh, uh, a week or so ago, um, Elaine and I just seemed to have a cascade of family issues going on, uh, including our son-in-law in England wound up in uh, the hospital, and uh, um, uh, another son was having another issue, and um, my in-laws were having health issues, and one or two other things were going on as well. It just seemed, oh my goodness, you know. So we were in the position of the desperate dad. And where you're sitting there thinking, oh God, you know, uh, what, what are we supposed to do with this? Uh, and one minute you'd feel, okay, I know the Lord has this. And another minute you'd say, oh, I don't know how this is going to, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's just honest, right? But uh, we try to come to the Lord in desperation. And uh, I phoned pastors in three different cities who all have great intercessory ministries in their churches, and I said, we're just desperate. Can you please pray for us? Um, because that's where our answer comes. Our answer doesn't come from the fact that, well, you know, uh, I am God's man of faith and power, and God owes it to me because of my great ministry. You know, God owes it to me that to do, fix all these things with our family members. No, uh, God doesn't owe anything to me. Uh, I need to come in desperation and say, Lord, I, I haven't got the answer to this, and I need your help, and, 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 and go to other people, you know, and say, can you stand with us and help us? And, you know, we, we saw God, we did see uh, God do some things, and there's always more to do, isn't there? You know, there's, there's always challenges uh, and if we think that the Christian life is God resolving all of our problems and then us never having another problem, that's a delusion. There's always another challenge to fight, but the grace of God is always available to us. Same as it was for this desperate dad that day. Think about Peter. Um, the storm is going on, and Jesus comes walking in the water. That's a very powerful symbol um, because Revelation presents the, 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 the sea as the dwelling place of evil, and there's a whole Old Testament background to that. And in the New Jerusalem, the sea will become as crystal. You can walk on it, right? It's, it, the, the evil is gone. Uh, and so when Jesus came walking in the water that day in the Sea of Galilee, he was performing a prophetic sign of his triumph over the powers of evil. And he invited Peter to join him in that journey. And, you know, we, we can make fun of Peter. You know, he, he uh, started to sink. But he was the only one that actually got out of the boat. 
that day. The others were onlookers. Um, but of course, the moral of the story is that he was okay until he took his eyes off Jesus. And the story says, you know, he began to see the waves. And don't be too hard on him because you'd still be in the boat, and so would I. But Pete, at least, <laughs> was out there uh, having a go. And, uh, and so this is the thing, that the desperate father, I think, that day when he came with his son, he had his eyes fixed on one man only, and that was Jesus. He, he, he was like the lady that had the bleeding, and she had one goal. She was going to touch the hem of his garment, which was illegal, by the way, because she was ritually unclean and would make anyone else unclean that she touched, let alone the greatest rabbi in, in the, the land, but the, and, and which is why she was so scared, even though she was healed, um, because of what she'd done. But Jesus, the, the health and the cleanness, so to speak, that he walked in healed her uncleanness. She didn't make him unclean. He made her clean. It's amazing. But she was desperate, just like the father in this story. And to me, to close it, um, that's the encouraging thing, is that all you and I need is that kernel of faith, the kernel of faith in the midst of our sea of doubt and our storm of emotion. But as long as our faith keeps his eyes on Jesus, we'll be okay. Uh, and God, whether the impossible situation is a miracle of healing or it's any other circumstance in your life, and uh, no matter you know how God resolves it or deals with it or how long it goes on, God will not fail you and he won't fail any of us. So the desperate father to me is a massive encouragement. I'm so glad this story is in the Bible. I don't have to be a superhero of faith that doesn't need anybody else to help me. I can just speak the word and everything happens magically around me. No, I just have to be desperate, worshipful, motivated, keep my eyes on Jesus, and he will never fail me. Amen? Let's, let's just pray. <laughs> let's take a, we'll just take a moment of quiet and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to encourage you uh, out of what I've said this morning, out of the Word of God, really. Speak to your situation. Lord, we all need encouragement, no matter what our battles are. Every one of us in this room has a battle or two or three going on at the moment, and uh, you're the answer. So we cast ourselves on you. We come to you. We lay our emotions and our mind and our everything that's going on in our lives before you. You're the one that can walk in the water and calm the storm. You're our help. We have nothing in ourselves. But thank you, Lord, 
that if the only thing, quality we have is that we're desperate for help, that's all we need. Because you are so gracious and merciful, Lord Jesus, to meet us just as you met that man and his little boy that day. And we commit ourselves to you. And I pray, Father, for your strengthening and encouragement. And I pray that out of this group this morning would come testimonies of people saying, yes, I heard that message. God spoke to me, and this is what happened and how God met me in my weakness for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you again for allowing us to be with you.